get this rolling. Hey everyone, what's up? My name is Julia and I am the host of Tickle Me. Welcome back. Tickle Me is a podcast about how media and entertainment influence our self-expression and the ways we think about the world around us. And there's a new episode every single Sunday. So make sure to follow wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you um, have an iPhone, you can uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Maybe you can leave a review if you don't have an iPhone as well. I don't really know. But yeah, I love reading the reviews, so you're always welcome (laughs) to leave one. So today I'm going to be talking about my thoughts on media conglomerates. And also I'm going to be talking about rebooting certain series and like building franchises. Um, And I'm I'm kind of going to be focusing on iCarly because recently um, the news came out that they're going to start filming and they're eventually going to release in, I think, March 2021, potentially. In 2021, though, for sure, um, an iCarly reboot with most of the original actors, um, and it's going to be an adult show. So I want to talk about that. Um, before before I really get into it, though, let me just, let's just talk, okay? <laughs> so I'm in Chicago. I got my COVID test today. Gotta wait three to five days. Um, so that's happening. I'm just like chilling at home, doing nothing. (laughs) My mom got this thing. It's kind of like a massage gun and it has different attachments and you can adjust it to different speeds. And it like, you know, just like massages your body in different spots after you work out and stuff. And like for it's good for sore muscles. And it's like crazy how, how it, it works so well. Like I, I really do need to stretch more because I run a lot and stuff. So my body is like constantly kind of trying to recover from that. Um, I always have sore muscles somewhere in my body. My calves are ridiculously tight and like hurt when I poke them. Like it's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy out here. So I've really been enjoying that little gun. It's kind of pricey, but like worth it for me. Also, Okay, this is kind of like not really my my usual vibe, but I've been thinking a lot about the new Taylor Swift album. And I just want to say that I know like Switched on Pop is a really popular podcast. And I really recommend that you listen to Switched on Pop. Um, one of the most recent episodes is about Taylor Swift's new album, Evermore. And um, I thought it was really interesting. I had a lot of similar thoughts to what they said. Um, cause I listened to the album and one of the things that they said was that it's like sort of an amalgamation of all of Taylor Swift's different phases. Cause you know, she's got her country phase, she's got her New York poppy phase, and then she has some new phase. I, I haven't listened to her new music, but they referred to it as her Tennessee phase. I think Tennessee, I don't know. So her Tennessee phase, her New York phase and her LA phase. Um, so yeah, and you can like definitely hear all of her different sounds in this new album. And I just, I like noticed that right away because it gave me such a nostalgic feeling. And I was like, this is so strange. Cause, cause you know, I, I, when I was younger, I really enjoyed Taylor Swift's, you know, like 
Speak Now album and all, you know, the old ones. I don't really remember the names of them, but like her old music, I really was a fan. And when I hear those songs, it reminds me of, you know, those times in my life. They remind me of summer camp. They remind me of, you know, being in middle school. So this new album kind of brought that back out. And I was like, what? That's so strange because they're completely new songs, but they've got that same vibe. But they also have this different vibe. And it's it's because she's combined so many different things. Also, for the song Closure on the album, Switched On Pop talks about the 5-4 um, like rhythm. And I thought that was so cool. So I think, yeah, I just recommend that you listen to that podcast because I'm really enjoying it. It really piqued my interest. Something else I've been doing is watching so much Vlogmas and I'm going to make a whole episode about Vlogmas because I'm really interested in it. I have found that um, I really enjoy knowing like the behind the scenes of YouTube production and podcast production. I don't know. I've been listening to a lot of interviews and watching a lot of videos about like the people who help influencers and personalities online and it's cool because uh these are all really new jobs and they're all things that I maybe could be interested in doing like pursuing as a career or something which is really crazy to think about but um yeah so anyway that's those are some things I've been thinking about now let's get back to iCarly so when I heard that they were going to release an iCarly reboot, you know, first of all, I was like, well, is it going to be a kid's show or is it going to be an adult show? And, you know, I read online, I read a few articles, it's going to be an adult show. So they're bringing back Miranda Cosgrove. Um, God, I don't even know the names of the actors. That's so awkward. <laughs> they're bringing back like most of the main cast, not Jeanette McCurdy, who plays Sam, the blonde one, but the girl who plays iCarly, the, the dude who plays um, Spencer, and then also Freddie. Uh, un, unclear if the guy who plays Gabby is coming back. All we can do is hope and pray that he does. <laughs> so so I was talking actually to my roommate uh, about this, and we were kind of debating whether or not it's a good idea to do this iCarly reboot because – you know, on one hand, and this was my argument, like this generation, my generation, we grew up watching iCarly when we were were young. You know, it aired. It aired from 2007 to 2012 on Nick for six seasons and 97 episodes. And it did extremely well, like way better than they, you know, expected it to do. That's why it had six seasons. I mean, geez, that's a hell of a lot of seasons for a a television show that's how you know it's successful you know the point is iCarly did it very very well for our my demographic um 2007 to 2007 to 2012 is like exactly when that's that's when I was that age to watch that show you know it was for me it was for I mean other people my age it was for us you know What I am thinking is that this reboot is going to be targeted towards my age demographic. I think what they're trying to do is find viewers who are already hooked 
on the nostalgia of iCarly, who, you know, watched the show back when it aired. They were, they were involved in the discourse. And now the, the main factor attracting them back will be that they remember how great the show was to them. Um, and that's how they're going to, to reel in some initial viewers. Um, and I think that the content is going to be adults. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the characters are portrayed as adults because they were in, I think they were in high school in the show. So maybe it's going to be a 10 years later thing where maybe they're like in their twenties and they are like pursuing careers. Um, I was reading this one article and it was like, is it going to be so that Carly is a YouTuber now? Cause you know, she, she had a web show. Like that's what, you know, that's what I Carly was about. It was about three kids who had a web show together um, and like got famous on the internet because of it. And now, you know, being an internet person is such a popular job. And I wonder if they're going to base it off of like the internet culture of 2020, if they're going to come up with their own sort of internet culture thing, like, I feel like Disney does that a lot where it's sort of like weird. It's like, I mean, I don't know. I haven't really seen new Disney content, but I think there is a, a television show about, oh, is it called Bizarre Varks? It's about like kids who have their own web show, but it, it doesn't look like how like YouTube channels and stuff look now. I feel like it's like it exists on a different like universe. I wonder if iCarly is going to be sort of very, very relevant, like, uh, 2020, or if it's going to go more like Emily in Paris, try to be, um, appealing to, you know, millennials and Gen Z, but really it's just kind of emulating like, like television and fashion and culture from like 2012, you know, like what, what's it going to be like? Yeah. Like I said, I think that it's really going to target people like me to come back. Um, my roommate was saying, well, what if, you know, what if children see this and they think it's going to be a kid's show? Uh, what if they, they see iCarly and they think, oh yeah, iCarly, like that's, that's a show for me, a 12 year old or whatever. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I think, I think that the commercials, I'm really, I'm really interested to see how the commercials are going to look because I don't know, maybe they'll include flashback clips from old episodes and then like then versus now like now Carly like wearing her little kitten heels and her her mom jeans and whatever and her like millennial outfit doing her thing I don't know I think yeah I think that like we don't have to worry about children wanting to see this show and then like seeing adult content because they're not going to be marketed towards kids and it's going to be on Paramount Plus which originally was CBS All Access, which is just another streaming service. But um, I was thinking, like, you know, on streaming services, they have lots of categories, very inspired by, like, Amazon style. Like, this kinds of people liked this. I don't know. They have, like, really specific, like, groupings of of television shows and movies. Um, and I think that, like, iCarly Reboot will be – in an adult section, you know, and it will have a rating and stuff. So I don't think we need to worry about children wanting to watch it. 
Because also the other thing is like, for me at least, you know, I, I missed early 2000s and 90s kids TV. So I, I missed Lizzie McGuire and I missed That's So Raven and stuff. Um, and I never really went back to watch them because I just kind of felt like they were before my time. So I wonder if the kids born mm, four or five years after me never went back to watch iCarly and Victorious and such. Um, and maybe they'll never be interested because it just, it's past that. It's past them. It's, it's over their heads. Okay. Speaking of Victorious. So I was thinking also, I wonder, if they decided to do this reboot of iCarly before or after they added um, Victorious and Avatar The Last Airbender to Netflix because I was really, really fascinated. I actually wrote a paper about Avatar, um, but I was really fascinated about how how well and how popular these TV shows did and are um, once they were put back on Netflix. So like, I remember Victorious, I don't remember when it was put on Netflix about a year ago. Like everyone was watching it. It was all over Twitter. People were talking about like, Oh, are you watching Victorious? What, what a good show. Like how terrible their morals are, blah, blah, blah. With Victorious, I think my age group, the people who grew up watching the show, even though it was the original kids show that they added back to Netflix, my age group still decided to watch it, even though the content was made for younger people. It was the nostalgia factor, you know? Same with Avatar The Last Airbender. They added that and Legend of Korra later, actually, um, possibly as a uh, reaction to how well Avatar did once going back on Netflix. Um, but anyway, they they put Avatar back on Netflix and... Um, it did the same thing. Like people my age who grew up with the show were, well, they rewatched the show 10 years later or whatever and loved it. And I think, well, especially with Avatar in particular, it's, it's got that like nuanced theme type of thing where it, it, it appeals to younger kids because of just like how, you know, it's animation, it's, it's content, the story, the plot. The characters, like, they're all very accessible to children, but also there's um, a lot of deeper themes going on, like uh, approaching trauma and healing from that, you know, genocide, war, uh, sexism, and xenophobia and stuff, and colonialism. Like, all of those deeper themes go on in Avatar. So people my age were interested in the show, even though they were... Um, again, older than the demographic that the show was originally made for. Even though when the show originally aired on on um, Nickelodeon, uh, it totally blew up and uh, people outside of the demographic it was made for watched it even back then, um, which is one, one of the reasons why the show did so well and it has such a legacy behind it. So I think that like Victorious and Avatar – their success after being added to such a popular streaming service possibly inspired the new people in charge of this iCarly reboot to decide to reboot iCarly. This is really smart because um, obviously, like, I mean, I'm really, I really want to watch it. So am I going to have to get a Paramount Plus subscription? I don't know. This leads me into my next point. So 
let's talk about streaming services, okay? I am fascinated. I have been fascinated by streaming services for a long time. And I took this class um, last year called Intro to Media Industries. And uh, it was a really great class. I loved it. I had a really good professor. Unfortunately, he retired, so I will never be able to have him again. But he taught me a lot of good stuff. You know, history repeats itself. Cable, you know, was a, was a really big thing for a really long time. Everyone had cable. I didn't, but whatever. <laughs> Everyone had cable. You know, it became really expensive um, to get all these extra packages because, you know, all these different services, you know, CNN, HBO, I don't really know the specific channels, honestly, but they all came out with new packages with extra access to different content, less commercials or something. And then eventually it evolved into streaming services with, you know, Netflix as one of the pioneers um, and everyone soon followed suit. So, you know, all of a sudden, instead of just extra cable packages, came different streaming services. And I think most of us started out with Netflix. I started out with Netflix, um, or my family, rather. Every media conglomerate is coming out with their own streaming service now. You know, we've got Apple TV+. Plus. We've got, um, I think, AT&T or something came out with its own streaming service. Like, like conglomerates that aren't specifically media-based are coming out with streaming services now, which is how you know this is a big business move. Um, and so with higher competition comes content competition. And um, I'm sure you've noticed each streaming service has their own like famously great show so like Netflix has The Office, except it's actually leaving and moving to Peacock this month. Um, it's got Grey's Anatomy. It's got Gossip Girl. It's got a few classic movies. We've got Hulu, which has Seinfeld, I Love Lucy, you know, the Mary Tyler Moore show. Um, really classic stuff like Seinfeld is, and, and I Love Lucy. They're in like the top five television shows like ever, which is crazy. Um, you've got HBO, which, you know, has has Star Trek and Doctor Who and Sesame Street and Bewitched, and Scooby-Doo, I Dream of Genie, and um, obviously, like, it's newer stuff like Euphoria, which I think is one of the biggest, like, <laughs> good stuff on there. Haven't really seen much of Euphoria. I don't have HBO, honestly, so I don't really know what's on it. And then you've got Disney+, Plus, and Disney+, Plus is crazy, because Disney owns the rights or whatever to the Star Wars tra- franchise, the Marvel franchise, they also have Pixar and they have Fox, excluding Fox News. And they also own ESPN. So Disney Plus has a lot of really exclusive content. Plus it's got that, you know, Disney content, which for pretty much everyone, at least in America, has super nostalgic ties to us. Like we all have some sort of nostalgic tie to Disney. Even me, and I've like, I really didn't watch that many Disney movies as a child. But somehow I still, like, I remember watching, like, the original Snow White movie that came out in, like, what, the 1920s or something? Or the 30s? And, like, every year Disney comes out with, um, like, a re release of, like, Snow White or, um, Frozen 2, Frozen 3, um, Wreck It Ralph 2, 
Disney is really focused on franchises. But anyway, my point is that all of these different um, streaming services have exclusive content that's really popular. So it's like, oh, I want a Netflix subscription. But oh, dang, like who has Seinfeld? And I really want to watch Seinfeld. So I guess I have to get a subscription to that. And all of a sudden, it's just like the cable situation all over again where you're you know subscribing to different package deals and um different streaming services and you're spending the same amount of money that you were spending on cable (laughs) they're taking all of our money it's kind of crazy how that happens and since streaming services are such a big money move like obviously it makes sense that cbs all access slash Paramount Plus um, is going for this iCarly move because what a cultural gem, right? This brings me to my next thing that I just want to talk about, which is media conglomerates. We're just going up the food chain here. So media conglomerates, um, if you don't know, they're like just the big companies that own other companies. Um, and there are like six that control everything, which is pretty much, it, you know, we've got like, what is it called? An oglopoly? Oglopoly? Oligarchy? <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, it's not a monopoly, but it's almost a monopoly. That's how it's legal because monopolies are illegal. So if it's only a few versus only one, you know, it's technically, it's still legal. These, these companies, these conglomerates can still own so much and make so much money without controlling the entire industry, especially if they're multi-industry conglomerates. So I just want to like tell you these top conglomerates. It's always like kind of shifting around because different major conglomerates are acquiring different subs, subsidiar, subsidiaries, subsidiaries. I can't say that word, but they're acquiring different smaller companies. Um, So, oh, here's a, I found a definition. A conglomerate is a corporate corporation consisting of a number of companies or divisions in a variety of unrelated industries, usually as a result of a merger or acquisition. And a subsidiary is a company whose controlling interest is owned by another company. So, yeah, just so that we could do that. So number one, P&G, which stands for Procter & Gamble. But, you know, we see P&G in a lot of things. Um, they own a lot of, like, household stuff, like Always, Bounty, Charmin, Crest, Dawn, Downey, Febreze, Gain, Gillette, Head & Shoulders, Olay, Oral-B, Pampers, Pantene, Tide, like, all that stuff. And And you also see them as sponsors for a lot of big, like, sporting events. Like, I remember... Uh, with gymnastics, there's the P&G Championships, which I actually had the opportunity to attend one time. Super cool. Um, and I got, they gave me a little package, like a little like to-go bag. And in the bag, there was a razor, there was some deodorant, and there was some lotion with like these, it was Gillette, and it was Dove, and it was a couple other things, I think. But it was like these, these uh, subsidiaries, <laughs> these companies. So it's crazy. PepsiCo, they own like tons of snacks and drinks like Pepsi and Mountain Dew. 
um, ready-to-drink Starbucks products, Cheetos, Ruffles, Brisk, Lipton, whatever, okay? Mars, they own a lot of, like, the candies, like Three Musketeers, M&M's, Snickers, Twix, also Starburst, and Altoids, and Lifesavers and stuff. And then 3M owns a lot of, like, office supplies, like Post-its and Magic Tape and Scotch, Petrofilm, etc., and then we've got Walt Disney, which, like I said, owns Marvel, ABC, ESPN, Lucasfilms, also Disneyland, Disney World, and Disney Channel. <laughs> That's a lot. And then we've got Comcast, which owns Universal, um, both Universal Parks and NBC Universal, um, Movies 24, NHL TV, Hulu, and DreamWorks. And then another one is Time Warner, which owns Entertainment Weekly, People, Time Magazine, HBO, Warner Bros., CNN, um, Viacom, which owns so Oh, my God. Guys, I'm just reading all these lists. Okay, notable ones are MTV, Nickelodeon, Paramount, um, Comedy Central, MTV. I skipped a few other, like, two or three other um, conglomerates, but that's kind of the gist. And I remember when I was first learning about this, it, it changed, it continued to shift throughout the semester that I was learning about it. Like, who, which conglomerate acquired what? Subsidiary? Um, and that was, like, part of our, like, homework to keep track of it. And we, like, constantly were reading articles about, you know, the media industries. And it was so interesting to me. But, um, I couldn't help but wonder. (laughs) I sound like Carrie Bradshaw when I say that. But I couldn't help but wonder, like, if these conglomerates have so much power, why aren't they doing any good with it? I mean, yeah, maybe they're doing some good with it, like... I mean, some of the content that they produce does cover, like, different political issues or human rights issues or whatever. But I feel like they could really put out a lot of messages about politics, about voting, about maybe now, like, the COVID-19 vaccine and how it's okay to get it and, you know, erase fear around that and uh, release content for kids that shapes them in a really positive and loving way. I mean, I'm sure they do a little bit, but they could really do it. And they have such an, such so much power to make some sort of impact. They also have like trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars between each between all of them. So they just could do so much, but um, they they don't, and that worries me because I mean I don't know. It's just it's just like any billionaire like. Like, they're just, they don't do anything with their money for the the good of the public. And I think it's really important to do that, especially now. Conditions are getting worse and worse for so many people all over the world. Yeah, so that's just kind of, like, what I think about when I think about these media conglomerates. Like, what the fuck? Why aren't they doing good stuff? Like, ugh! You know, it's so frustrating. So frustrating. Because you really, like, that's the top, top. Like, that they control the world. When I was younger, I remember I learned so much from Martha Speaks, Curious George. All these television shows taught me so much about the world. And imagine what they could teach if they actually, like, put more thought into them. Or imagine what destruction they could do with these shows. And, like, they have done, you know, I mean, think about all the movies with terrible 
messages behind them. Today I watched this video essay by the YouTuber Mina Lee or Mina Lay. She her Instagram handle is Gremlita. G-R-E-M-L-I-T-A. She has really cool style. But she does a lot of really cool like film and fashion analyses um, on her YouTube channel. She's really good at it. And today I was watching her video about the ugly duckling transformation in film and TV. And, you know, she was just going through movies like Clueless and Mean Girls and like The Princess Diaries or whatever it's called. How, you know, it's like showing like, you know, white women being like, like who start out with like curly hair and glasses or something and and then they turn beautiful and they straighten their hair and they take off the glasses and they are more feminine and then the male character love interest is always like reacting positively and it's like that kind of thing and it's perpetuating like certain beauty standards. She has really a lot of great points about that but it's like that kind of stuff like these these conglomerates like they can control that kind of stuff like which movies um, are released and the messages within the movies you know because because Netflix they control what actors and what uh, producers and directors they want to hire um, you know and they have certain contracts with certain actors and producers too the talent you know they really can make a lot of decisions about what type of stuff they want to see especially if they're the ones who are acquiring certain talent and I think that's really important so important because we're so impressionable especially at a young age and so many of these conglomerates own subsidiaries that produce content directly for young children but also anyone we're all impressionable like I'm really impressionable like (laughs) I definitely went through that phase where I like watched a lot of vegan videos on YouTube and I was like very like you know, vegan. I'm really glad I never watched Freely the Banana Girl because like I would have definitely gotten on the banana train and I am worried about those types of people, you know? But like, you know, I would listen to people preach about that kind of stuff and I'd really consider and I'd I'd really be like, oh yeah. Or like influencers, just in general, like they're very good at convincing me to buy stuff. Like I've definitely clicked on people's codes and stuff and affiliate links and bought stuff because they told me that they liked it. So <laughs> that's media media conglomerates. Boom. Slash conglomerates, just in general. Something that I wanted to talk about earlier that I forgot to talk about is would they do a reboot of iCarly specifically if the pandemic didn't happen? Because I think the pandemic showed us how important streaming services are to people binge-worthy television and movies especially and I think the pandemic sped up a lot of stuff and I've I've heard a lot about that how it sped up a lot of cultural developments and if the pandemic didn't happen then people's reliance on media and entertainment wouldn't be as strong I think maybe so I wonder if they would have done the iCarly reboot if that hadn't happened because I feel like they would have less like reassurance that people would be down to watch this reboot. And I think especially because it it does have that nostalgic like string attached and people cling to nostalgia in times of distress. 
I mean, people are constantly in distress, but now everyone is in distress in a way. So there's more like guarantee that iCarly reboot will like do well, perform well in their ratings and stuff. Like there's so many like really shitty movies on Netflix, which I've complained about before. I've talked about this before, how so many shows and movies on Netflix only did well because people crave new content because they are exhausted by the content that already exists and they see they they you know constantly refresh the netflix new to netflix page or whatever and they watch every single new uh item or whatever so yeah i don't know food for thought (laughs) i'm so interested i'm so interested so yeah that's today's episode i hope it wasn't boring (laughs) to you (laughs) Let me know if you want to hear anything else related to this topic. Um, If you have any ideas, if you want to be a guest, I hope your day goes really well today. I hope that you take a few deep breaths and really feel present in the moment. I know that a lot of us are on winter break right now, whether that be like school related or not, you know, it's the holidays. So it's kind of stressful, but also we're meant to relax a little bit. So remember to relax. Oh my God, my foot is cramping up. Oh, Oh my God. Anyway, um, yeah, I'll, I'll see you later. I'll catch you later. Peace out. Bye.